Well, let me add my welcome to you today. It's great to have you attending online church with us here at SDBC, and it's great that we can continue to do this. Uh, never forget, it uh, wasn't that long ago that we wouldn't have been able to meet at all, so I'm very, very thankful that we can actually do that, uh, do this. Uh, last week, uh, I briefly mentioned that chapter 3 of Galatians indicated this change of direction for Paul. In chapters 1 and 2, Paul had been defending the validity of his apostleship and as a result of that being questioned, he also had to um, defend the validity of the message he presented. Some were saying that it actually wasn't a true gospel, there was other things that were required. And in chapter 3, this change um, was about the defence of the gospel message itself. And so last week we saw that Paul was calling the Galatians to remember, to think about how they first came to faith. And he asks a few questions of them and he says, was it when you first obeyed the law? Was it when you obeyed the law? Or was it when you believed by faith in all that Jesus had done for them? And this was, of course, a rhetorical question because as soon as Paul mentions this, the Galatians know that their attempts at obeying the law fell way short. They were futile. It was only when they believed and accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour that they were accepted by God. And this was confirmed to them by receiving Holy Spirit. As they've brought this back to mind, you can imagine them asking, well, then what was the point of the law? And that's what Paul goes on to explain in the rest of chapter 3. So let's just pause and pray. Father, I thank you so much that we can gather like this. It is such an incredible blessing to have this ability. And again, Lord, I thank you for so many people behind the scenes who are responsible for making this happen. And Lord, I just pray for everyone hearing my voice, that they will submit to you, Lord that they will hear what you have to say, that you will open their eyes and their hearts to the message that you have for them this evening. We pray this now in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So Paul is going to move to some practical examples or illustrations um, to demonstrate, first and foremost, that God's promise stands. And Paul has introduced the promise that was made to Abraham. And the fact that that promise came before the introduction of the law what we, uh, what he now wants us is to, sorry, now what he wants to prove is that the law did not annul or void the promise of God, but rather the law was given to reveal sin and to pre prepare the way for Christ to come and to fulfill the promise that was given to Abraham. In Galatians three fifteen to sixteen, it says, to a, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. And as he begins his explanation, he's basically saying, let me give you an illustration that you will understand. Let me talk about something that you know. And so he says, even with man-made covenants, even with man-made contracts, once they're agreed to, nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be overturned. It cannot be annulled once it is agreed to. And the point he is making that is, even if a man-made contract is like that, if a man-made contract is like that, if a covenant or agreement is binding like that, if nothing can be altered, if nothing can be changed, if nothing can be added once it's agreed to, why would it be any different for God? We know God's word is faithful and true. We know his promises, his word is unchanging and it can't be added to and it can't be taken away from. 
We know that because of Scripture. So why would you think otherwise? The promise that's referred to is the promise that God made to Abraham back in Genesis 12, 2 and 3, where God says, I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abraham and his descendants, they became a great nation. We know that. Abraham was blessed and his name became great. But what was it that would cause Abraham to be a blessing to all the families of the earth? It had nothing to do with the Jewish nation, which many did believe at the time. They, they believed that the Jews would be a nation that blessed those around them. But that wasn't what this was about. It was a promise that God gave thousands of years before it was fulfilled, that through Abraham's descendant or his offspring, Jesus Christ, all nations would be blessed. And it was an unconditional promise that God made to him. God didn't demand a certain work of Abraham or that he obeyed certain laws or that certain conditions be fulfilled. God simply said, I'm going to give you a descendant. And because of him, all nations will be blessed. It's an unalterable promise that God made to Abraham. And it's still in force today. Never to be withdrawn, never to be changed, never to be modified. What was true for Abraham is true for us. And so Paul continues, Galatians 3, 17 and 18. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. And so Paul is pointing out that the promise to Abraham came 430 years before the law was given. He's basically saying, guys, if these false teachers are right, if what they're saying is true, if we can only be put back into right relationship with God by keeping the law, then the promise must have been annulled. The promise must have been terminated. It must have been voided. It cannot possibly be both. The promise God gave and also the law. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. And it's very interesting that Paul says God gave it. The, the Greek here, the word that is used, emphasizes that this is a free gift and that it is given for good. That doesn't come out clearly in this translation. This is a free gift and it's given for good. Salvation always has been, always will be about God's free grace. God never has nor never will go back on a promise. What he says is binding and true. So every sinner who believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, who believes Jesus' death and ultimate resurrection without adding anything else, including the law, receives the blessing of eternal life. The promise made by God to Abraham all those thousands of years ago. And so, thinking about this, what was the purpose of the law? And so Paul now moves on to explain why the law was given. Galatians 3, 19 and 20 says, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So Paul asks and answers a couple of questions here related to the topic of the law. And the first one is, why then the law? 
This could very well be the answer that Paul could have presented to those who opposed him in Acts 21, where Paul is accused of teaching people to defy the law or to stand against it or just to ignore it. But Paul knows the false teachers have misunderstood what he was saying and have misrepresented him. Paul never said, nor would he, that the law had no part to play in God's purposes. But Paul said the function of the law was not as a way of salvation, but as a way of revealing man's need of salvation. It is the law's work to expose sin. And it is the law which exposes sin as a transgression. And this is very interesting. It's important to get this. It's an act of wrongdoing or an offence against the will and authority of God. That's what a transgression is. The law demonstrates man's sinfulness or inability to please God in any other way. Not by our works. Not by anything we can do. Think back to Galatians 3.10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written... Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. All are cursed. Because of the law. And the law was added until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. The law looked to and pointed to Jesus, Abraham's offspring, through whom all transgressions would be forgiven and through whom the curse would be removed. And then Paul moves to ask and answer the second question. Galatians 3, 21 and 22. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The second question points to the issue or problem that may be perceived. If the law is inferior to God's promise, then it could be in conflict with that promise. It's interesting to think about how the question is posed. It seems that Paul is addressing the false teachers here. It is them who have confused the Galatians, who have told them that they must follow Jewish laws and traditions. They were teaching that the Galatians uh, kept the law. If the Galatians kept the law, then they would be able to obtain eternal life. And Paul denies that. He says that if, and that's a big if, if there was a law that was given which would give life, then righteousness would be by the law. But for the law to impart life, it would need to pardon the condemned. The the law would need to make people righteous, which it cannot do. It's simply not possible. And so there is no such law, which Paul has shown. And he emphasizes both the law and the promise are needed. He says in verse 22, the scripture imprisoned or consigned everything to sin. And although this isn't easy to read or understand, it's saying the same thing as Psalm 14.3. There is none who does good. No, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every man, woman and child is a sinner. We are born into it. Imprisoned by it but we are not without hope. It is when in this state, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. This is the great promise of God. Paul teaches the true meaning or use of the law. It is to confirm the promise. It is to make it indispensable. The law reveals the sin of all men, but the promise, it is through the promise of God that they can now be pardoned. God can actually pardon them, those who the law condemned. Are pardoned by God. For those of us who believe, 
We are no longer condemned, but we are in Christ. Paul has covered about 2,000 years of history and doing so, he's related two of the great biblical forefathers uh, to the purposes of God found in Christ. Abraham received the promise and 430 years later, Moses received the law. But it's through Christ that the promise is fulfilled. The law condemned the sinner to death while the promise offers justification and eternal life. And Paul now explains that all humanity is one in one of two places. They're either held captive by the law and condemned to death because they are still awaiting the fulfillment of the promise of their lives, meaning they have not accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, or they have been delivered from the law, found innocent because they have accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour, and He has imparted His righteousness on them. Quite simply put, using the language that Paul used, you are either under the law or in Christ. Galatians 3, 23 and 24. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. It's interesting to read this after all Paul has said. He has just spent all this time talking about the faith that Abraham had. And now he says, before faith came. Uh, Is he talking about before Abraham? Is he talking about, who knows? And again, there's something a little bit lost in translation here. Obviously, Abraham believed in faith. That has been proven. That has been said uh, by Paul and by many others. But what is lost here is that Paul is not speaking about faith in general. He's not talking about that same faith that Abraham had. He's speaking specifically about the faith that is centered upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And although Abraham looked forward to the time when Christ would come, when the promised Messiah would be born, he didn't live out that faith in his time. He didn't believe in all that Jesus Christ did upon this earth and his death, resurrection and ascension to glory. Before Christ, the law was a guardian or custodian. And Paul's emphasising that again. That all the law did was essentially be a disciplinarian. The law exposed the sin until Christ came. It is the law which is active in bringing us to salvation. It is the law that reveals to us our need of our Saviour. It's only through the law that we can realise the helplessness of our plight and reveal the need for something or someone much stronger, much more powerful than the law to deal with our situation. And that is, again, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. And Paul speaks again in a way that those hearing or reading would understand. That now that faith has come, We are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are the sons of God through faith. Think of those two words, but now. It signifies a change, it signifies a transition, an outcome which is fundamentally different to what was there before. And thinking about the Galatians in their belief as they came to Christ, they are now fundamentally changed. They are in a different place to where they were before. And they're no longer under the law or under a guardian, condemned and imprisoned by it. Now they are in Christ, united with Him, accepted by God with their names written in the book of life, sons and daughters of the Most High God. They've been accepted by God through Christ in spite of law-breaking. They are in Christ, all sons of God. 
And Paul is again encouraging the Galatians to think about their position in Christ. What does that mean? And he says, when a child takes on the responsibilities and privileges of sonship, they've reached a level of maturity where they leave childish things behind. They are no longer under the protection, guardianship and discipline of their parents. In fact, in Paul's day, a man who had taken on the responsibility of sonship was considered to no longer need any of that input from his parents. And so Paul is asking again, if you've taken on the sonship, why would you go back to being under that guardianship, that discipline, that protection that you once had as a child? The gospel is far superior to the law. The promise, the faith we have in Christ means that you no longer need to submit to the requirements of the law. Submission to the Lord Jesus Christ is all that is needed. For those who have believed and been baptised. There was great emphasis on baptism in Paul's day as it was a sign that you had entered into this new kind of life. Dead to your old self, risen to new life in Christ. Those who had this new life in Christ have put on Christ. It's almost like they're talking of Christ as a garment. You, you put him on, he covers you. And there should be this closeness, there should be this intimacy between Christ and all believers, his followers. We have put him on and in so doing we become part of one body, one people. Everything we do now relates to Jesus. Our lives are not our own. We are committed to listen, follow and obey him. That's the call that is now upon us. Being one in Christ means there's no race distinction, no distinction in rank, no distinction in class, no distinction in sex. We are all one. And what is key for the Galatians here too is the reality that we belong to God and to each other. But all of us, all of us, Being in Christ also makes us children of Abraham. The Galatians and us become part of that continued succession of faith, those greats listed in Hebrews 11. The Galatians and us, you, have significance. In calling us to himself, God has a purpose for each one of us, each And every person has a role to play. God has a plan and purpose for you. We are living living in times in our Western world where so many see no meaning or purpose for their lives. There is so much that weighs in upon us, demanding attention. And there's so many who believe they will live and die without having an impact at all. They'll live and die without people even knowing to a large extent. I want you to think about this word today. The Galatians as Gentiles felt disconnected from the foundations of faith. And that's why they were so tempted to follow the false teachers. But Paul steps in. He points out to them that the way back, that way back when God made that promise to Abraham, he had the Galatians in mind. And he was working out his purposes year after year. And 2,000 years later, his purposes were revealed in Christ. In this letter, 
Paul brings together Abraham, Moses and Jesus. He shows the Galatians that God's promise to Abraham was confirmed by Moses, but fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And it happened so all could be sons of God. It always was and always will be God's plan to call all men, women and children to himself. There never has been, never will be any other way to come into a right relationship with God except through faith. And for us, that faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. The law still works today. It is when we see our sin revealed through the law that we can appreciate the incredible grace of God in providing his son as a sacrifice for us. I don't know about you, there's many who say they don't sin. And when you think about the rich young ruler who asked what are the two most important, sorry, not the rich young ruler, but the man who came to Christ and asked him what the two most important laws were. Well, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbour as yourself. I don't even keep those two. And so I'm found in sin. It is the law that convicts me. And I want to ask you, have you come to that point where you can look upon yourself, you can, you can look upon your life, you can see that you've done things wrong, you can see that you've lived for yourself and you appreciate that you have no way of changing your situation and circumstances yourself. And you've come to that point where you've looked upon Jesus and you've asked him to be your Lord and Saviour and your life has been truly transformed at that stage. Have you reached that point? Have you come to appreciate the gospel? Do you appreciate all that the Lord Jesus Christ did for you, for the sacrifice he made upon the cross? And as Paul called the Galatians to remember, I'm calling you to remember again. I know I told you, I said the same thing last week, but I want you to remember that time when you gave your life to Jesus. So many people ignore the gospel message. So many people make fun of it. So many people say they'll deal with life with Christ later. They don't need to deal with it right now. The reality is no one can truly appreciate the gospel message until the law reveals who they really are. Until they reveal the chasm that lies between a righteous, holy, incredible God and us. Have you reached that point? Have you submitted your life to Christ? Because you know you have no other choice. It is only when we come to Him in true humility, when we acknowledge we have lived for ourselves and not for Christ, not with Him in mind, and when we turn to Jesus, bowing before Him and realize his promises for us too. In Christ, I am found. In Christ, I am saved. Everyone hearing my voice is one or the other. You're either living a new life in Christ or you're under the law. New life in Christ ends life eternal with him. Under the law ends being cursed and cast out from the very presence of God. Don't stay under the law. If Holy Spirit is speaking to you tonight, you can 
change that. If you're aware of your sin, if there's things that you've done wrong, if you've been living for yourself instead of God, don't stay there. Follow the promise. Go to Jesus. It's what we're called to do. And I know so many of us too have had this life where we started out well and slowly we've been led away from Christ. This is an opportunity for you to come back. Hear very, very carefully. There is no sin that keeps you from the Lord Jesus Christ. He is so willing to forgive. I want you to think about the story of the prodigal son and how the father was waiting, looking down the road for that prodigal child. And when that child arrived, the father ran to him and embraced him poured his blessings out upon him. That is how God looks upon you. He is waiting for you to return to him. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. He wants you and he wants you today. Do not delay. Run to Jesus, I beg you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for people like Paul who are just so well connected to you, Lord, and who show us so graphically uh, how we have relationship with you. And Lord, I just pray for everyone hearing my voice now, that Father, they'll consider their life before you, that they'll examine it, Lord, and that they'll realize the things that they've done which have kept them separated from you, and they will again resubmit themselves to you. Lord, that's a prayer true for me as well. I need to continually come back to you and submit my life to you, asking your forgiveness. I do that today, Lord. I do it for myself and I trust there's many who are praying with me now who do it for themselves as well. Father, lead us on from this day forward. Let us realize that we are part of the promise. We are part of the people who are now living for you, who are now going to make an impact upon this world for you, your glory and your kingdom. Father, we want to live for you. I pray that will be true for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.